Oh 
Worship your holy name. Worship your holy name. 
everyone. Please stand with me as we begin. Welcome to our fourth week under the tent. We're like pros at it by now, right? Um, I got to tell you, we're going to keep me under the tent for the time being, and we will give you an update on that when we know. Uh, I know we said originally four weeks in June, but we're going to keep going until we know we can do otherwise. So tent's pretty nice though. I mean, cool in here. All the third hour people are going to be sweating, but not you. You're good, right? So um, no matter what we do, where we do it, uh, as a church, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. Not just words we say, but what we want to live. And um, glad you're here to do that with us. Offering boxes are in the back of the tent. You can still give online. If you're new to Grace, we're just glad you're here with us. There are summer calendars on your seats, I believe, and uh, all the plans changed, right? All the plans changed, so we made some new plans that would fit within the guidelines, so check that out. There's an all-church picnic at Irvine Park on July 12th, social distance, of course, after third service. I'm going to start with Psalm 121, and then I'll pray. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together today. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. We love you because you first loved us. And we want to pour our hearts out in praise to you today and to hear your word and do what it says in your strength. We pray that you would be glorified in this time. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's a joy to see you all this morning. If you're joining us from the live stream, thanks for being here. What a gift. Uh, We're going to be singing, God, you're so good. Would you join us?
Go ahead and remain standing and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8. God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. The only perfect part of our worship. And we trust that God, the Holy Spirit, will use the word in our lives for his glory. Change us. So hear the word. For everything... There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This is God's Word. Go ahead and have a seat, please. And we're going to go to a time of prayer. I want to ask you to please remember the family of Gary Phillips, who died yesterday, last night, after battling cancer. Please pray for his wife, Mary, their sons and grandkids, and Uh, including uh, their son, Paul Phillips, and his family. Uh, Service details will be sent out soon. As we go to a time of prayer, please remember the Phillips family. Please bow your heads with me now as we pray. Lord, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. And we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us always. We acknowledge your goodness, your greatness, your love, your mercy. We acknowledge your kindness, your justice, your righteousness. Before you, a holy God, Lord, we confess that we have sinned and we have fallen short of your glory. And we thank you, Lord, though, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that there is forgiveness in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that every believer that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to the praise of your glory would have eternal life and forgiveness of sins and life forever. We praise you for that. And Lord, we thank you that we don't always get what we want, but you provide what we need. We thank you, Lord, for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for eternal life in Christ to all who believe. We thank you, Lord, for our family and our friends and for places to live and for food and clothes and every provision. We thank you, Lord, for sustaining our lives. We pray, Lord, for the Phillips family. Thank you for Gary's strong faith in you. We pray that you would comfort your abundant comfort upon this family, Lord, and bind up the broken, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd and you lay down your life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord, that you save and you sanctify according to your gracious will. I pray you'd bless all your people, saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, reborn by your Spirit, 
because of the resurrection of Christ. We are living by faith in you in hope of the resurrection to come. Even while our hearts are needy and wandering and weak and often faithless, Lord, we thank you that you remain faithful forever. We thank you, Lord, that your, your mercies are new every morning, that you strengthen us, you persevere us, and thank you that you give us strength to live. Pray, Lord, that we would be kind to all, that we would be patient when wronged, that we would bless those who curse us, that we would love all people, that we would be witnesses of your gospel truth in our homes, in, in this church, in this community, and to the ends of the earth, that we would not live for ourselves, but for you who died in our place and rose from the dead and who is coming again. So we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and in that passage of Scripture, uh, we find a poem, a poem with a purpose, and it's inspired by God. It was written by Solomon some 3,000 years ago, it was put to music by Pete Seeger in 1959, it was made famous by the band The Birds in 1965, uh, you cue jangling guitars, an iconic tune. To everything, turn, turn, turn. The only thing they added was turn, turn, turn. The earth's spinning. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. And that's a comforting thought in a coronavirus pandemic. Comforting thought in a social protest era and a culture-clashing pandemonium. This poem says there is a time for everything. And more pointedly, there is a God-centered time for everything. And it starts with a sweeping statement. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 just says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything has a season. Everything has a time. And then this poem moves to a list of 28 life events in verses 2 through 8. 14 pairs of polar opposites. And it shows the full range of human experience. It's not exhaustive, it's representative. What does this poem teach us about God? About what response would be required? Because there's nothing in this poem that tells us to do anything. It describes life. It doesn't prescribe our actions. poem reveals what God does. What God does is He chooses, He gives, and He controls. This is what this poem is showing us, that God chooses and gives and controls. And first we see that God chooses. In verse 1, we see that word time and a parallel word season. It's what God specifically appoints. It's the events of life that he times out. Uh, these two different parallel words, season, or an appointed time, and time, something that happens in a moment. The timing of events in life is ordered or appointed by God. Now this is referring to a specific moment in time, a specific moment, not a period of time. This is talking about God's 
predetermined purposes. God's predetermined purposes. And it focuses us on God's actions, on God's activities, on what God does. How He ordains the timing and every event in your life. Now, a lot of us like to complain about our lives and say, I don't know why this happened or that happened, and, and that wasn't very good timing. In Ecclesiastes, we've noticed that life is brief, it is repetitive, it is often confusing. And what you'll notice here is that time is a gracious gift from God. It is not futile. It is not tyrannical. It is not oppressive, as some would have you think. It is a gracious gift from God. Time and the events in time are appointed by God. So there is a time for every heartbeat, a time for every heartache, a time for every heart cry. But what this doesn't mean is that you can just go rogue and say, I can do whatever I want, anytime I want, because, hey, there's a time for anything. Like, kids, don't try this at home. Spouses, don't, don't try this with your spouse, okay? Well, I can do whatever I want because Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, for everything there's a season and a time for everything under heaven. So, hey, open season on what I want. That's like a lot of people, they'll take, you know, Philippians 3.14, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and they, they, they mash it up according to what they want. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. This doesn't mean that you can go rogue and do whatever you want, whenever you want, because everything is permissible, even though some will use a verse like this to act sinfully. Well, hey, I did it because there's a time for everything. Instead, since everything is on God's timetable, you need to redeem the time, buy it up, use it wisely. Wisely use time. I mean, we've, we've mastered a lot of things. Mankind has mastered a lot of things. But we cannot master time. You're wearing devices that tell you time. First hour at my, my watch actually, you know, vibrated on my wrist as I was saying this, okay? It's like telling me something. You've, you're carrying devices that are telling you about time, and you've got calendars all over the place. You've got your daily planner, you've got your calendar, you've got your productivity tools, you've got all the things, but you cannot conquer time. It wins 100% of the time. You have your to-do list. You have your agenda. You've got your daily planner. It's on point. You're going back to paper now because everybody's using journals again. And here's what happens. You feel like you're getting nothing done. And you got your to-do list done, and you're like, but what did I actually accomplish? I love Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully at how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Literally, redeeming the time. We waste time. Because the days are evil. Do not be foolish. Understand what God's will is. When we were apart as a church for 85 days, what did God do in your heart? And was there any lasting change? You had a lot of time to think. So did I. We were apart as a church for 85 days. For some, it's going on, right? It's longer than that. But just think 85 days and you were quarantined, you were sheltered at home. What did God do in you? I've been making a list. 
We're making a list of all the good things that God has brought about in this moment. You know how many people, you know how many Christians complained about their life because they were put out because this happened? You should have been reading Ecclesiastes 3.1. What are the good things that God has brought about? You can complain all you want. You can say that I didn't get to do this and I didn't get to do that. There's some of the good things I have put on my list. Gave me a greater appreciation that God is in control and I'm not. Gave me more time to pray. More time to think deeply. It, it, it made you rethink your whole life, didn't it? And rethink your life commitments and who you are and what you do. One of the great benefits was more rest, that we weren't so frantic. You know how many people are working from home now? You know, how many, you know how many companies are saying, you know, productivity didn't go down. Who'd like to stay home? Healthier eating. For me, it was healthier eating. For you, maybe not. But it, for me, I ate healthier. Another good thing, families had more time together. Some of you are like, good thing? Yes, families had more time together and more relational connectedness. One of the wows for me, because some people are extroverts, some people are introverts, but it gave some people this opportunity who might be a little more introverted to actually communicate and have greater relational connectedness over those 85 days of not being together. I saw that. I saw it happening. More families got together in the word and prayer. You know how many dads came by, all the men came by the office to pick up the family worship Bible guides? Hopefully you're using them to open up the Bible and pray with your household. I mean, dads had more time with their kids. A lot of people were mentioning that. One of the things that came out was that we got pared down to the basics, so we had to reevaluate our priorities. You're doing that personally, you're doing that as a family, we're doing that as a church. A lot of good things came about because God said, you know what? Time is in my hands, not yours. The net effect, my opinion, God's getting us ready for what's next. And God knows, only God knows what's next. It might be great, it might not be so great in our eyes. We waste time, we lose time, we spend time. What we are supposed to be doing is redeeming the time that God specifically chooses, that he appoints. God-chosen time. Another thing you'll notice in verse 1 is that God gives. It says for everything. It starts for everything. This is about what God allows in life. These are God-given things. Every good and perfect gift. James was writing, by the way, in James 1, and said every good and perfect gift is from, from God. And he's writing to a group of Christians that were finding it tough going because they were in persecution. And he's telling them even the persecution is a gift from God. He says there's a time for everything, for every matter, the events, the delights, the pleasures, the pains. Now, your life has a span. And within your life there are big events. Now, you might see those events as somewhat random. They just happen. The Bible says God has a reason for everything. Romans 8, 28 says God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Your life events are given by God. 
And so this poem has 14 pairs of opposites that signify completion. It's common in Hebrew poetry. But let's roll through these, verses 2 through 8. Let's, let's look at these things. Verse 2, it starts with a time to be born. You cut the umbilical cord and appear. And then a time to die. A good friend of mine died an hour after I saw him yesterday. I'm grieving his death, but he loved Jesus. And I have to rejoice that he's with Christ. A time to die. You've got life and death. Both ends of the spectrum of life. Sin brought death into the world. Verse 2 also says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted or uproot. So you plant a tree one day and it's a seed and it comes up and then one day you pull that tree out. You cut it down. You, you, you pull the stump out. By the way, do your yard work with gloves on. My, my hands and my arms are just torn up right now because on Monday I did a lot of yard work in the yard without gloves on. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up what is planted, to uproot. Look at verse 3. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. It's part of life. Life is taken in war. Like life is taken in justice. God ordered the killing of Israel's enemies. Uh, God ordered animals to be sacrificed in the temple for the people's sins. By the way, those, those, that was pointing to God's predetermined plan to sacrifice his own son at the cross. The time to break down, to tear down, the time to build up. Solomon was a builder. He knew that to tear down the building had to come first before he built one at the same place. Verse 4 says, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Some people don't cry very often. Some have tears on standby, right? But there's a time to weep and laugh. You experience deep emotion as you, as you travel this life. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. You've got inner feelings that give outer expression. Times of pain, times of bereavement just plunge you into mourning. This is why we, at a funeral, we mourn. We don't dance. But then you have times of joy so great you dance. That's why we dance at weddings. The Bible tells us there's joy for those who draw near to God in Christ. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. Verse 5 tells us there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, which is probably the most difficult verse here. Actually, the throwing of stones is the positive. Kids, don't, don't use this as proof that you get to throw rocks today, okay? Please. Someone came up to me the other day with a rock in their hand. I'm like, what are you going to do with that rock? Throwing stones here is positive. Removing stones um, from, from a field to prepare for building. That's you're throwing the stones off to the side into a pile so the field could get planted. Gathering stones is the negative here. Piling stones up ruins a field. In wartime, armies would pile stones up in fields so they couldn't plant the fields. Casting away stones refers to prepping for cultivating, gathering stones, ruining the field. Verse 5 also says a time to embrace and hug and a time to refrain from doing that. We're living that right now. But there are also, in, in that embedded in there, is times of friendship and times of friction relationally. Verse 6 says there's a time to seek or search and a time to lose or give up searching. Maybe you have a business that gets lost through a market collapse. 
Maybe you have a loved one taken in an accident. Verse 6 says there's a time to keep and a time to cast away or throw away. There's plenty of things. You know, you, you have a birthday party and someone gives you a gift and you're thinking, I don't like that gift that much. I'm going to re-gift it. Maybe you give it away really quickly. You get married and you get all these presents and you're like, I like those, but there's other stuff let's give to them at their wedding. Verse 7 says there's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. That's associated with pain and sadness. We all go through it. The idea here is, is the mourning process, the pain and sadness of life, and you go through mourning. Biblically speaking, tearing a garment would indicate grief. Sewing up the garment would indicate the end of the grief. This is David and his men tearing their clothes over the deaths of, of Jonathan and Saul, or Job hearing about the loss of his children. Verse 7, a time to keep silence, a time to speak. This is probably the most pertinent one for us to apply right now in this moment in which we live. Uh, silence or speaking. Biblically, silence can, can represent grief. Speaking, the end of grief. Uh, Job suffered and then his three friends came to visit and they sat in silence before they began to speak. There is wisdom in knowing when to speak and when not to speak. A lot of you have uh, learned that lesson the hard way. A lot of us learn that lesson the hard way. James 3 talks about taming the tongue. Paul talks about graciousness in speech. Jesus uh, showed the wisdom of silence when he was before Pontius Pilate. By the way, all the verses about holding your tongue, they're still in the Bible. Just in case you wondered if they got taken out, still in the Bible. A lot of you say things where you go, you know, I'm just going to say it. You're under God on that one. And you're going to hurt people? All the verses about waiting on God before you speak, still in the Bible. You got to give your, your, your thoughts time to grow. Some of you don't do that. You just let it rip on people. There is wisdom in staying silent. Proverbs 19.1, when, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. He who restrains his lips is wise. And then verse 8. There's a time to love and a time to hate. Someone asked me after first hour, should I hate? And I said, there's no shoulds in this passage. This poem has no shoulds. It's all descriptive of life. It's not prescribing anything you should do. It's just saying this is how life is. Time to love and a time to hate. And when was the first time you realized that the world is a place of love and hate? I remember, I, I, jogging back in my memory bank, First time I, I can think is in the third grade when I was getting beat up. I won't name his name. I grew up in Downey, so you might know this person. I won't name his name. But I'll tell you the name of my bodyguard, Joe Gonzalez. Joe Gonzalez stepped in between me and the bully. I was a little guy, and the bully was bigger than me. I want to say his name so bad right now, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay silent because you never know where he's at. And, and Joe Gonzalez just stuck up for me as my bodyguard. I'm like, he's my friend. The time to love and a time to hate and a time for war and a time for peace. So what you'll notice is that God's providence extends to hate and war. In Psalm 105, verse 25, it says that he turned their hearts to hate his people 
to deal craftily with his servants. But in Exodus 11.3, it says, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It's all under God. It's all covered by God. You've got these 28 items, these 14 pairs. It illustrates the fact that life happens and you have to deal with it. And you're not the captain of your fate. And you cannot predict, you cannot determine, you cannot memorize a pattern. How many people say, this is my five-year plan for my life? I laugh at those five-year plans. And so does God. It's okay to plan. But you're supposed to say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. You know how many people put out their plan and say, well, if this doesn't happen, oh, and it doesn't happen, and then they're like, God didn't bring it about. God didn't come through. I can't be at peace because my plans didn't get, didn't get approved at the head office. You know, there's nothing left to chance, by the way. All is from God. And this doesn't prescribe how you are to live, when you are to act. This describes your existence. And what you'll notice, you don't have to go too far in life to notice there's two kinds of events. There's the delightful events, and there's the depressing events. The delightful and the depressing. And these aren't just the delightful people over here and the depressing people over here. I'm using my hands. The delightful events, the depressing events of life. Two kinds of life, two kinds of things in life. Life is full of things that will either delight you or depress you. But some people only want the delights of life. They say, God is only blessing me when, when the good things happen and when the victory comes. And so the preacher is boldly pointing out the depressing times, dying, not embracing, uprooting, losing, killing, tearing down, weeping, mourning, going to war. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there are some people who, who only see the eyes, the world through the eyes of pain, like they're Eeyore, and it's like always negative. So the preacher describes the delights of this life. Birth, embracing, planting, seeking, healing, keeping, building up, sowing, laughing, speaking, dancing, loving. Her whole life just mixed with Delightful things and depressing things. It's the fortunes of a servant of Christ to have both. Some of you are very worried right now. And there's something that is worrying. And maybe it's a big thing in life. Maybe it's a very mundane thing. But the question is, why are you so worried? You're not in control. You care. But what you need to see is that God brings things into your life to shape you and to change you, to make you the person that he intends for you to be. And a lot of us are just pushing away all the depressing things of life. Um, and you go through your life, and the things that you remember are the painful times where you learned great lessons. And so, so since everything is from God... What we need to do instead of complaining or rejecting what, what comes our way is to receive God's good gifts and gratefully steward what he brings our way. The depressing as well as the delightful. Now there's your God-centered perspective. 
that life is filled with both. Life isn't all joy, listen, isn't all sorrow. It's not all pleasure, it's not all pain. Um, the good that comes in your life is not a reward for your good behavior. And the bad that comes in your life is not a punishment for your bad behavior. How many Christians are superstitious and they think that? They fall into the mindset that treats God like a genie who is doling out requests, doling out wishes. Or they see God as this angry taskmaster that's doling out retribution. That's not the biblical view of God. It's a snare, it's a trap for you to think that everything in life is determined by your good behavior or your bad behavior. Well, then that means you're living without God, without a knowledge of God. Does it mean that there are consequences in life? Yes, there are consequences for your actions. But no, everything cannot be reduced to human cause and effect. That's a humanistic viewpoint. You cannot reduce Christianity to a math equation. You know, it's not A plus B equals C. You know how many people who are Christians say, I'm living my life under a math equation. I'm going to do this and this, and this is what I'm going to get. And when they don't get that, they're mad at God. Or they're mad at their family. They're mad at the world. There are things that you need to do to grow in Christ, like be repentant and actually confess your sins and not point everybody else's faults out. And read the Word of God and pray dependently and encourage believers, share the gospel, but it doesn't depend on you to determine the outcomes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, Just aspire to live quietly and mind your own business and work with your hands, with gloves on, so that you live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Just redeem the time that God chooses specifically to appoint and receive everything God gives that he sovereignly allows. And, and then you'll notice one other phrase in verse 1. Under heaven. Most important phrase of the whole poem. Under heaven. It's about what God controls. God chooses and appoints times. He gives Sovereignly allows things in life, but it's all under him. He is in control. This is what God providentially controls. God controls time and things. Life is under God, under heaven. The big phrase that gets used all the time in Ecclesiastes is under the sun, over and over again from man's perspective. But under heaven is only used three times. And it's about God's involvement. The creator is the controller. You're not, I'm not. The creator is the controller. This is a challenge to an unbeliever. If you're not a believer today and you're listening to these words, if you're without God, it's because you want to be God. And what happens is the unregenerate pursue control to escape responsibility. And the result is emptiness. If you live under heaven, under God, you'll notice the timing of life and events is controlled by God. And you'll notice that this poem even is an illustration of that. The all-knowing creator of the universe gave the wisest guy living in his time the ability to write this poem. And God was controlling time from outside of time because that's what he does. He's God. And he moved Solomon to write. Life is not easy. 
You cannot pick and choose what goes on your life calendar and say, I only want these things, but not these other things. You say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. You've got to plan humbly. You know what these words of this poem do, do to us, for us? It's a gracious gift from God. They draw us near to the heart of God, and they set us under him. They set us under his rule, his sovereign determination, his will, his providential orchestration, his works. God is in control. Now you could strive in response. You could say, well, you know what? I'm going to fight against that. You can fight against God all you'd like. You're not going to win. You can get worked up over all the things that are not in your control. You can try to get all the delights and then, you know, reject all the lessons from the depressing parts of life if you'd like. You could even try to quit. Like, I'm not even going to try since I'm not in control because I like being in control. You could even say, I'm going to blame God and blame everybody else in my life for how my life has worked out. The right response is because God is in control and everything is under his sovereign control, you just need to relax. You just need to relax, like rest under God's providential control. It's what you need to do. In yielded submission, the Bible's full of that. It's called trust. That you would happily admit that you're not in control, that you can't figure this out. Uh, the experts are guessing. Foolish to think that you can live this life on your own. Or you could say, I'm only going to listen to the smart humans. Only God knows all. Only God satisfies fully. Only God has the answers that you are looking for. You have to navigate wisely with a humble heart. And here's what I have found. Someone who's saved by Jesus has generous room in their life for the sovereignty of God, for the supernatural. They can't connect every dot, but they see God at work in his sovereign deterministic control, in his providential orchestration of all things. Because the gospel reorients your life around God. A Christ-centered life. And you're in a Christ-centered community where you say, God's in control. I'm not. I'm just going to live as Christ's witness. I'm going to make the most of the opportunity. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do the next good thing with all my energy. I'm going to carry my own load, Galatians 6.5. I'm going to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.10. I'm going to, as I have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. There's, there's more to this poem and the message and the following verses. Uh, we'll see that next week. But I think it's really good for us to be here today with our Bibles open to, to Ecclesiastes 3. The best-known poem of all time, 3,000 years old, long before the iconic tune with the jangling guitars. But this poem is a game-changer. It is a game-changer. There's a God-centered time for everything. He chooses, He gives, He controls. Now, here's what happens. When you grasp more clearly what God does, then you can give yourself more fully to what He wants you to do to redeem the time, to receive his gifts, to relax under his control. See, God does not burden you with his responsibilities. He strengthens you with faith 
This is what I want you to do today. I want you to use this poem to reconsider your stance in life. I mean, times and seasons and life events, they disrupt your plans. But don't throw your daily planner away. Don't ditch the calendar. Don't idolize those and make them your God. Just know that God is at work. He is sovereignly determining things. He is providentially orchestrating things. And he is graciously empowering your yielded submission. I mean, if you try to understand what God allows, what, when and how, it's too much for you. Psalm 131, the psalmist says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Please do not think that your striving or your wisdom is going to deliver you. Your striving is overwhelming. But the Bible is this great place to sit and just wait and see how things unfold. Just to relax and yield and let go and know that God is God, Psalm 46.10. But here's what we do. We live our lives almost superstitiously looking for that next new thing. Something new, some new info, some new clue that will unlock the Christian life for us. It's the idolatry of the new. But what happens is you get reminded of something old. Something you thought you knew. And then you gain fresh appreciation and it feels like you never knew it before. It seems new. Here's what Solomon's doing. He's taking us down a well-worn path. Some haven't been on that path for a while. Some have neglected it and ignored it. But you grasp it once again and your, your mind will get renewed. Our minds as Christians get renewed by the Spirit of God using the Word of God, the living and active Word of God to change us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you specifically appoint time. May we redeem it. Thank you that you sovereignly allow the events of our life. May we receive what you give. Thank you, Lord, that it's all under your providential control. May we relax. May we rest under you. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close to sing?
with everyone today. Remember to uh, grab that summer calendar. And again, the plans changed. We made some new ones that would fit this moment. Uh, registrations for next Sunday will be open tomorrow morning. I want to ask you to please exit the tent quickly when we're done. Uh, we've got the cleaners coming in. But that doesn't mean you have to leave the property uh, if you fellowship with your social distance, okay? So remember that. Uh, you're going to be exiting to your right playground side, this way right here, okay? And uh, let's close with Revelation 21, because I think this really uh, gives us a picture. There will be a day, there's coming a day, when all 28 of those things that are listed in the poem will not all be there anymore. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Yeah. Our hope in Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are making all things new. We look to that day. Until that day, Lord, give us strength to serve your purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you all.
reason 